Welcome to the Orbital Perspective Podcast, where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Orbital Perspective. Um, I am really excited uh, for today's episode. I'm really excited that you're here. I see everybody joining in. Thank you for joining in. As you heard in the introduction, uh, this is not an interview. This is a conversation amongst all of us. So remember to give us your comments and your questions. Uh, we'll try and address those live as we can. But, you know, I've been talking uh, on this podcast uh, probably almost every episode about how we as a species need to conduct a course correction to the trajectory of our society. We, we need to steer ourselves uh, to a new future because the trajectory that we're currently on uh, is not leading to a place that we'd want to be. And so we need to make a course correction and hopefully enter into a new human epoch where uh, this, this status quo that is not working for everyone right now uh, is modified in such a way that nobody gets left behind. And we, uh, we have a society which is fully functioning where nobody le gets left behind, where all the basic needs of every human on the planet is met, where we live within, uh, within the limits of our biosphere uh, in harmony with all the other species on the planet uh, and where we can thrive. We, be we can become uh, a thriving species that's part of a vibrant uh, ecosystem known as earth. And so uh, we, 
and to put it in, in spacecraft terms, and, I, and this is something that I write about extensively in my new book, Floating in Darkness, is we need to make this course correction. And we need to make a course correction to steer us towards the future that we would all want to be a part of. And my guest today uh, epitomized that course correction. I have uh, two wonderful humans, great friends, uh, a powerhouse mother and daughter team that are doing just that. They are, they are making a real course correction towards the future uh, of, our, of our civilization, of our society. And with that, I want to introduce today's guests. My guests this week are Kate Robertson and her daughter, Ella Robertson McKay. Kate Robertson is the co-founder of One Young World, the global forum for young leaders. Inspired by her love for the Olympic movement and its values, One Young World gives young leaders a chance to meet their counterparts from every country in the world and resolve to make the world a better place. Kate also served as chairman of the Havas Group from 2006 to 2015 and as a global president from 2013. Havas is a multinational advertising and public relations company headquartered in Paris, France. Operating in more than 100 countries, it is one of the largest advertising and communications groups in the world. Having grown up during apartheid in South Africa, Kate's worldview was shaped by the leadership of Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Kate believes in the limitless possibilities a sense of shared humanity can create. Kate studied law at the University of Cape Town and has an honorary master's degree from the University of Creative Arts and from the European Communications School. In 2012, she was named Advertising Woman of the Year by Women in Marketing and in 2014 was similarly honored by Advertising Week Europe. In 2014, she was also awarded an honorary doctorate from the Lausanne Business School. Kate is the co-author of How to Make a Difference. Ella Robertson McKay is the managing director of One Young World. Ella oversees the annual One Young World Summit, which has taken place in nine different cities around the world from Bangkok to Bogota. The summit is attended each year by over 2,000 delegates from 196 countries, more than any youth event other than the Olympics. Ella is the co-author of How to Make a Difference, the authoritative handbook on activism. On activism. She has also written for she various, magazines, written for various and magazines and Glamour magazine and The Telegraph. Ella studied English literature at Balliol College, Oxford, and began a law training contract with a magic circle firm before changing track and pursuing a career in the third sector. She was on the Scottish International Debating Team and lives in London, where she is a governor at a local primary school. Ella is the chair of Conservative Young Women and was a candidate in the 2021 Scottish parliamentary elections. She was recently featured in British Vogue for her activism in getting more women into politics and was on the Management Today Daily Telegraph list of 35 women under 35 in 2019. Hello. Hey, guys. Hi, Ron. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I got really nervous because I saw... <laughs> While we were playing the video, I saw you you drop out. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to tap dance. <laughs> we're here. There was a panic this in, trust me. Kate yeah. just ran three flights of stairs and back down, but uh, we're here. And uh, I mean, I can't wait till we can just come and see you in Arizona and do this in person with you. Where, wherever, or you come to London, we just do this in person together. Yeah. Rather than well, having to battle the technology. Well, we moved. We live in, we live in the mountains now of Colorado. 
Oh, you're beautiful. Well, yeah. my, my cousin lives in Colorado. We never got to visit her yet. So. All right. Well, come visit. Come visit. Well, well, thank, you, thank you so much for being on the on the episode. Uh, as I said in the introduction, I'm really excited about this conversation because I really do believe uh, that you two are making a tremendous difference in the world. Um, so maybe we could start off. And again, I'm going to remind everybody again, I see you all popping in here uh, and, and people are, are popping in from all over the world. So thank you for joining us. But be part of this conversation. Uh, give us your questions and comments. Why don't we start off with One Young World? Um, can you... For, for those for those uh, listening who uh, may may not know about One Young World, can uh, either of you just give us the, a little bit of the history, the background, the why it was founded, how it was founded, how it works, and what its objectives are? You know, Ron, the the simplest way to put it is um, me coming from South Africa. You had to be aware my generation, which was the apartheid um, age group that one man could change trajectory. One man changed the trajectory of that nation was Nelson Mandela. And sometime in the 2000s, there was a, a BBC TV program about the then South Africa, which was called titled No More Mandela's, which was to say, who will, who will carry the can? Who is going to lead now? who will be of that stature. And God knows he was man of man of the century. So it's some stature. But the world that I saw at that time, so this is some 12 years ago, is going, okay, we know about the coming impact of climate change. Nothing was happening, nothing meaningful, nothing at all. And yet there are gatherings of the great and powerful. And I suppose it's topical at the moment because we're about to have a G7 here in the UK. How can it be that you have 80% plus of carbon emissions from the G20? That's only 20 leaders, only 20 of them. Some of them are even democratically elected, yeah, which makes it more difficult. But you're telling us that those 20 leaders can't fix this? This cannot, cannot be right. So for me, there was a question about leadership, and the only way I could see personally to to try to ensure some sort of change in trajectory was could we look for leaders and we would have to look among the youngsters why because i could see at my then age that i didn't fully grasp the digital world that i was never going to be a digital native that young people were more informed more educated and more connected than my generation or than yours and that we would have to find leaders amongst them and that's really really was my my thinking and my my emotional bat for One Young World, which I always think you need. I, I, I do think there has to be some sort of commitment. And it's a bit, um, I feel as though I kind of pass the buck because then I go, well, the leader's not going to be me, so I'll go and find some leaders. But, you know, when I first met you, I think we were in Vienna, I think it was Pittsburgh. We first met in Pittsburgh. Oh, maybe. No, before. I met yeah, you right. at my Muhammad Yunus's meeting. That's right. Yeah. Wow. And I saw your magical presentation, which was just, was just, I mean, magical is the only word that I can use. And I hadn't met you then, but everybody in the audience was moved and everybody was inspired, more importantly. And then I'm looking at leaders like you and I'm going, how can I bring people like Ron to these young leaders 
in the hope and sometimes the fervent prayer that they will be inspired to be these trajectory changing leaders. But to your point about no one left behind, that's why it's, as you said in the introduction, um, the Olympic idea of every single country being represented because no country must be left behind. And that's really the that's that's really what where one young world comes from is is trying and trying at the summits themselves to bring leaders like you to this incredible body of young leaders. And and now I mean I feel 11 years later still desperately looking for world leadership. Right. So it's interesting what, what dawned on me, you know, in the introduction to the podcast, every, every, every episode, we talk about this thing. I say we need to dolly zoom out to a perspective. Right. Um, and so I use this term dolly zoom, which I borrowed from cinematography. And, and I, I, I'm going to keep explaining it until <laughs> until until more, more people know why it's such a powerful uh, metaphor for what we're trying to do. What you're what you just described is a perfect example of a dolly zoom. So a dolly zoom means you zoom out to the widest geographic. If you're looking at a problem that you want to solve, you zoom out to the widest geographic area possible, which is which is the entire earth. But as you do it, uh, you don't lose sight of the worm's eye details on the ground, as our friend Professor Muhammad Yunus likes to say. But there's a, a temporal portion part of that too, where you zoom out to the longest time frame possible, ideally multi-generational. But when you do that, you don't lose the focus on the short term because right now our complete focus is on the short term, the next shareholder report, the next election cycle. But what you're describing is realizing that we have a problem now and we need to address the problem now, but we also need to think about the future and we need to start building these leaders of the future who are going to um, lead us and help that course correction. And so I think that's a perfect example of that. And we need to give a shout out to, D to David Jones, uh, uh, your co-founder in One Young World, and uh, a shout out, obviously, to our, our co-guest here, <laughs> Ella, who is, uh, is kind of taking it by the, by the reins uh, and is, and is uh, doing a lot of the, a lot of the uh, hard work right now to make sure that um, all this is, is, comes off flawlessly, which it does. And so, Ella, can you just talk us through what One Young World is doing right now? What uh, I'll just throw out one thing. Every year, there's a there's a huge summit that where every uh, young leaders from every country uh, in the world come together in a in a chosen city uh, and address the the issues of the world. But it's not just about talking about uh, uh, solutions. It's about actually enacting solutions. And can you speak to that a little bit? So we're looking for, as Kate says, young leaders. And people often say to us, "Well, what does that mean?" Uh, and it means lots of different things to to different people, but we're looking for young people, for us that's 18 to 30, so young adults rather than children, uh, who have a track record of leadership. They've already identified a problem and done something about it. And for some people that's, they started a business, they ran for office, some, some of it's quite a big scale, some of it's more humble, but they've still gone out and done something. They said, I saw a problem in my community and I did what I could. Um, and we had an amazing One Year World ambassador who was a nurse. And she said, you know, I realized I had a little bit of money left at my paycheck every month. So I started buying the prescriptions for the eye patients who came in who couldn't afford their own prescriptions in Uganda. 
And over time, this built up to uh, um, an organization that was providing prescriptions for thousands and thousands of patients in Uganda. So we're looking for people who can, you know, in that Dolly Zoom sense, they, they may be starting with something small today, but it's in the hope of building something really monumental. Um, and we bring them together because we think, you know, and I think it's been so clear to everybody over the past year that being apart is not how humans are meant to be. We're meant to connect. But if you are, you know, in, in the United States and you've never met someone from Afghanistan, how can you really have a view on whether or not, you know, the U.S. should be pulling troops out of Afghanistan? Uh, but when you meet someone who's your own age, maybe they're interested in the same things and who really lives there, you can start to develop a true world view. Um, as opposed to one that is influenced by the, the echo chambers that we all naturally live in. So that was one of the motivations of having the whole world there. Um, and then they form this community because the, the energy that is created at the One Young World Summit, the only thing I can compare it to is your team playing at home and winning on game day, that electricity that you know only happens when humans gather in, in numbers. And they form a community and we support them for years and years by funding them, by giving them media opportunities, by mentorship with amazing people like you, um, by connecting them with other young leaders so that they're able to scale their initiative and their vision through the One Young World community. Um, and to date, more than 30 million people have been impacted by One Young World ambassadors around the world, which is just an astonishing number because the number that we gather is sort of between 1,500 and 2,000 each year. So they go on to have this enormous impact uh, in every single country around the world, from Venezuela to Vanuatu to the Vatican. So it's it's the most thrilling thing to be a part of. And we are we, we were due to have our annual summit in, in Munich in October. And um, we will instead be having a gathering in July. We will be having a gathering on the ground in Munich. But we are also, we know that virtual is here to stay. Uh, so we will also be bringing One Year World to a, a virtual summit as well. Um, so it's a, it's a really, really exciting time at One Young World, and we've done everything we can to support the young leaders on the front lines over the last year. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing. You know, the call, one, one of the call to actions that I brought back with me from space was this, this idea, this realization, this revelation, <laughs> that there's no way that we're going to solve the challenges and the problems facing us unless we come together, unless we unify. And 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 so we have divisive forces on this planet that are that are fear-based, and we have unifying forces on the planet that are on-wonder-based, right? And one young world is certainly a unifying uh, force. And I just there's so many there's so many memories I have of different one young world events where that was that was really palpable. I think you know in Johannesburg uh, when you. Um, you, you you tend to in every in every summit bring to bring get warring factions and bring them together. So certainly you know there was people on opposite sides of apartheid when we were in Johannesburg in in Dublin. We brought uh, we brought uh, folks from the IRA along you know with with uh, people on the other side. And these were really really moving stories. I don't remember I can't remember which city it was, but maybe it was Bogota. One of the scenes that really struck me was. So for, for those of you that don't know, there's an opening ceremony for One Young World and all of, of the delegates march in with their country flags, right? And literally every country on the planet is represented. And I it's remember- It's a long ceremony. <laughs> it's a long ceremony, but it's a fun ceremony. But I remember that the North Korean and South Korean delegates decided to walk up together and stand on the stage together with their flags. And, you know, it's hard not to be moved when you see 
when you see that, because what you're seeing is the potential of our of our humanity, what we could become. We could become a peaceful family of nations all working together and using our diversity as a strength in the problem solving process. So um, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about that, but it's really a, a unifying um, force that you, you've put into the I'm world. I'm so glad you brought that one up, Ron, you know, because those moments sometimes are not pre-thought by us or spontaneous as that one indeed was. But there have to be those moments. There have to be those moments when, which are not staged, are not strategic, are not in the first instance measured, but where the mind stops and the heart takes over. <laughs> and the biggest the biggest thing about it and it's such a it's such an important thing and in difficult times it's hard to hold on to is that really simple thing that says the other guy is your family and that other nation is your family and there is only one human family and we are family and that's such a whole that's such a hard thing to hold on in the daily round and the daily grind and the, the things that we do we do in the day to day but it is that to you know it is that dolly zoom thing it is going into the people and coming out and realizing there's only one human being species on the planet there's one species they're not 25 million species like insects or whatever there's one human species and i think when you talk about the change of trajectory, I think you'd have heard this said, or you probably said it yourself, but I think you'd have heard Kofi Annan or Geldof saying it at one of our summits, is when people talk about what we need now for the planet, it's not about the planet. It's not even about the health of the planet. Planet's still going to be here. We are not. Right. That's what we're dealing with. Right. Right. And... And I'm one young world matters because when you look at something like this year, this second year now of the global pandemic, we're all the same. Everybody's getting COVID, every nation, everybody's up for the same thing. And are we fixing it together? Not so much, not so much. And yet we've had warnings of this thing for 15 years. So for me, the question in that is, where is the leadership? There is, There has been some good leadership improved in the States, for example. Where is the leadership? And it really does matter. Are there leaders around the world learning? And certainly our young leaders have learned from this pandemic. But it also says we, we can't leave this behind and leave it to chance and leave it to our imaginations. It's much more than that. But inspiration matters. You know, I remember when you came, the first time you came to a summit in Pittsburgh in 2012. And we didn't know that you were going to do that because you hadn't done it when I first saw you. But when you leapt onto the stage in your astronaut's uniform, after that summit, that was the visual image that, the delegates held on to more than anything else. Now they'd seen Kofi, they saw Bill Clinton, they saw all of these people, but they remembered, which said to me, you know, this this guy who's this this amazing astronaut, 
How many astronauts are there? You're probably the most elite group of human beings on the planet. And probably one of the most inspirational just by having done what you've done. But you are the only people who've had the Dolly Zoom. You're the only ones. Yeah, but you know, what I like, what I always like to say is you don't have to, and I think I say it in the, I say it in the opening of the, of this podcast is you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. You really, it's not, it doesn't require going to space to realize all the things that you just said. And that we're all, we are, we are all in this together. That's not, well, it might be a cliche, but just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it's not true. And you brought up COVID. I think COVID is a tremendous example. I think for the first time in human history, the entire planet, every single person on the planet, uh, is affected in one way or another by an existential threat. Now you could you can argue that we have lots of existential threats that we're being threatened with all the time, but it's this is the first time I think it was undeniable. So nobody can deny that. COVID, well, I, I shouldn't say that <laughs> anything's possible, but uh, you know, no rational person is going to deny that there's that COVID nineteen is out there um, and everybody, whether it's they're affected financially or or, or um, medically or, or physically. It, everybody is affected in one way or another. And so this idea that we're all in this together is, is real. It's made, it's made palpable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, I, you know, I wore my flight suit that year because I was still, I was still an active astronaut. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you remember that. So I had just gotten back from the space station, you know, like months before. I never uh, forget the excitement among the delegates. I never, I never forget that the excitement from the Pacific Islanders was absolutely palpable. They were out of their seats. It was, it was well, wonderful. It, it, so it, it is a really impactful uh, summit, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And so I, I, Pittsburgh was the first one. I've been to Pittsburgh, Dublin, Bangkok, Johannesburg, Bogota. Did I miss anything? I think you were on the road for Ottawa. And you were with us in... Um, I'm I'm missing one. The Hague we had. I know you you were. Yeah. I think your son was getting married. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, it's all literally. I mean, all around the world, nearly every continent. Yeah. So you you have one coming up in July. Can can you tell? I mean, is this a sign that the world is opening back up? I mean, because this is this is not just a this is not a virtual summit. This is an actual summit, right? So uh, yeah, we are doing everything we can we have a we have a fantastic venue in munich it's the munich olympic stadium uh, and we will be the most uh international event to take place in germany hopefully um since the munich olympics um so that really beautiful I iconic olympic park uh which is mainly outdoors so it's very heavily ventilated so that allows us to do a bit more um we are also you know we there's some amazing science coming out around testing and the the role that testing can play in enabling everyone to gather safely so we're we're really excited to work with some some partners on that and and with the German government. Um, what what we are doing is because we don't know you know clearly there will be some nations who will not be able to join us and and travel because of the various variants emerging. But we've launched a scholarship called the Solidaritet Scholarship, which is German for for solidarity and unsurprisingly uh, for if you are living in Europe. Uh, but you represent potentially uh, India or Brazil or somewhere, you know, somewhere that we may not be able to attend from from country. Um, you can still apply to come and represent that country in person because we so want to have every single nation represented uh, by young leaders under one roof. So it's a full scholarship. So please do head to oneyoungworld.com uh, if you live in Europe and, and might be able to come. 
Um, so, and then we're also having a virtual summit, which is going to be very exciting. It's got three time zones uh, because we will have delegates tuning in from all over the world. Um, and it's, uh, it's our first time we've done a full virtual summit. So we're really, really excited to be able to bring the One Year World community together in a different way. Um, because the most important thing is not the gathering, it's what comes next and the impact and meeting people who can support you on that leadership journey, which is often fraught, you know, being a human rights defender or an entrepreneur or a politician, they're all very difficult in their own different ways. They're all very challenging and you need a great network of people supporting you to, to sometimes make very difficult decisions. Right. And, and let's let's talk about impact a little bit, but let's pop up uh, this comment from Anne Marchand. We are able to experience the orbital perspective from research into Hubble imagery, studying cultural perspectives and myth mythology. 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 So, yeah, def again, another uh, another data point in the you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Uh, I, I mean, an example of that is we went to China for a vacation, um, actually to go to the Beijing Olympics, and we went to some of the ancient temples and palaces and things in China. And when you go there, the door frame is, um, it has a ledge in the door. So you have to step up and over the ledge. And the um, the the myth behind it is that devils will sort of um, slither on the floor into you know, under the crack of a door. So you, you have that ledge. And Kate said, gosh, that's extraordinary. In Southern Africa, that is also a common mythology. So it was amazing. I mean, these, these would have been mythologies that did not come from a, the same source. But it, that was an orbital perspective where you really see yeah. common in human stories, the same fears being manifested in doors with ledges. Um, but it was it was you know, that was that was quite humbling to realize how yeah. connected we, we all are. I think Jung would, would have something to say about that, maybe in collective consciousness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> so. Um, so impact. Um, I, I know that that you're you're making big efforts to measure the impact of of One Young World. Can you speak to that uh, for a little bit? And and again, let's. I'm encouraging everybody to jump in this conversation and uh, send yes, your I mean, impact measurement can, can be a little bit dry. Um, what I would say is, you know, on uh, like like anything, you can't manage what you can't measure. Um, you know, if you don't know how many squats you did in the gym last week you won't know if you improved this week whatever it is you know you want to measure things and keep a grip of things and I think sometimes in the charity world because people are doing good and it's very moving people have not felt the same amount of scrutiny as governments and businesses have felt to really show where is the money going what do our donors get for their dollars um, those kinds of things have just been less present in the charity sector uh, which it's maybe because it was understaffed, it may be for good reason, but has often left a, a, a worrying lack of scrutiny, actually. Um, and so one of the things that we really try and do is help educate people about meaningful ways to measure impact so that they can track, scale and grow what they want to do. Um, we, we felt it was important to get in professional guidance. So we work with PwC on building a framework that would uh, last over multiple years because there's no point in measuring it one way one year and then changing it up the next year. So we use a, a method called social return on investment. Um, and what that calculates is if I donate $1 or if I put in $1, how many dollars worth of social impact are generated? And what's extraordinary is that across the One Young World Network at the moment, the average social return on investment is 16 to one. So for every $1 you put into a One Young World Ambassador project, they, dollar, they generate $16 worth of social impact. Now, if you're an investor, you would take that bet. 
And the average across the charity sector tends to be one to two, maybe one to three, and that would be pretty good. So we've really demonstrated that investing in young leaders is a great way to bring about the change you want to see, whether that's environmental, social, or what have you. But actually young leaders, because they're often at the grassroots, because they're working at the most innovative end of things in embracing the latest technologies, they're able to really deliver social impact in a, in a really, really phenomenal way. Um, and we've just released our impact report. So please do go check that out on oneyoungworld.com. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a really humbling thing to witness grow every year. And I think for us, I think one of the things that's been really important about that is, as Illa says, that's the impact these young leaders are having. So that's not us saying mm -hmm. we, One Young World, did this and we made this happen. We're saying look at these brilliant young leaders, look at what they are doing. So I like to think that we don't take undue credit for what they achieve. They may have, they will have been inspired by you, by Kofi Annan, by Muhammad Yunus, by all of the amazing people we've had speak to them or meet them at our various meetings. But they've done the hard roads and they've achieved the things themselves. And that's great because I think we now, after 10 years of this, we do gather the brightest and the best from around the world. I'm now really, con really, really convinced and proven about that and try to showcase them because that's the job, is lifting up these young leaders. And one's only frustration would be, um, I think it's a daily thing, but you must, you must find it with your work. You just wake up going, we're not doing enough, we're not moving fast enough. But if you look at One Young World as a, a movement, but it is a movement about action delivered. It's not for talking. It's not for um, youth coming up with random ideas. Great. But it's not for that. It's absolutely about the people who are actually doing it and celebrating and promoting and helping to fund those people. I think also one of the things you can't measure is we often hear people say, I was so inspired by One Young World. I saw this presentation. I was inspired to start this. Or because of One Young World, I, I felt the confidence, the inspiration to grow this or to not give up. And you can't measure inspiration. You can't say how inspired you feel right now on a scale of one. You know, it's, it's not that's not measurable. But I think and that's one of the things that's quite difficult is that that's such an important factor in life is do you wake up and do you feel inspired to to help someone, to repair a friendship, to take a risk? You, and and giving people that motivation and inspiration to, to strive for more is, is very hard to do, especially during COVID, where I think a lot of people have felt disconnected and, and low. And so we're really excited that we can do a little bit to bring some of that kind of human energy and inspiration back into, into our community in July. And the thing that was interesting now about it was that at the start of the pandemic, so if you go back, say, to last year, let's say, call it start March, um, and you're going, well, if One Young World's just an annual conference, who cares? And why does it matter? And nobody needs to travel and go to that kind of thing, and that's all a waste of time. And the thing that, I mean, is really heartening, but has been incredible the last 15 or so months was the number of companies and young people who are just going, this is essential. 
me getting myself or my colleagues or the person I've chosen into this community is essential. It's not up for debate. It's something that has to happen. And I was glad because it speaks to the urgency of finding better leadership because that's, that's an emergency. There's no trajectory change without it. That's for sure. So, so what, you know, one young world can rightfully take credit for a lot of things. One of those things is that you are an exponential accelerator of impact. Uh, not only, I mean, we, you spoke you spoke of of the inspirational part of it, and that's that's really that's really important. But I think more important than that, I think, is the is the community that you provide, the community that you provide, and the amplification that you provide through through the network that that you have available to you, and. You know, I've been I've been speaking and I've been writing uh, extensively lately on the idea of tribalism, mm -hmm. uh, how yeah. we become very tribal and very two dimensional, us versus them, uh, very polarization. But again, you got a dolly zoom, and not all of tribalism is bad. There's there is there are very good aspects of tribalism, and in order for for the world to get on the right track. One specific species on this planet, humans, have to become the first species in, hi in the history of life on this planet to be able to figure out how to cooperate on a planetary scale, right? So many species operate on massive scales, you know, bees, ants, all that, but all of them limit their sphere of cooperation to their community, however that's defined, the, the anthill, the beehive, whatever that is. And so if we can define our community as the earth and apply those same that same tribal unity as as a tribe of earthlings you know that that is the i think that is the answer to to, to where we're going and so i know did you, i'm sorry did you yeah no i i i was a, I, I i really really agree i think i think that's so true um so let, let me just pop up one other thing because i think this is uh, related to this, the moment when the mind switches off and the heart becomes one is called confusion, possibly sus suspended belief. I don't call that confusion. I call I call that um, uh, what's a good word for that <laughs> to describe it's humanity. That. Sometimes you know, sometimes you know, when you meet the love of your life and you're like, we live in crazy places, but we're going to make this work. I understand. I understand. I understand the point the person is making. Yeah. I think some very important here, and I know. I know why I said that, and maybe I overarched the expression, but I'll tell, tell you why I say that. I was in business for the upwards of 35 years, and eventually in the last 10, 12 years or so, big global business for my sector. And I was always that person who wanted to count things, who wanted the result, wanted the new business, wanted the contract signed, get the, get the concrete results in, get it done, we need to change this company, we need to buy that company, we need to merge these ones, and this is my strategy, and mm, mm, mm. and I'm, I get so embarrassed because it must have taken me at least 32 of those 35 years to grasp that culture trumps strategy every single time. So to me, that's more culture's more kind of like a hard thing, but when the culture's right, you can do anything. When the culture's not in sync, it doesn't matter what your strategy is, not going to happen. So I, I do, I mean, it's wrong to call it hard, but I do feel as though 
two different things, two different things pull along there. And it took me so, so long to grasp that. So, you know, when the, when the mind switches off, here's, here's uh, he's expanding a little bit. This is known as a momentary lapse of reason. I, I would, I, I kind of look at it the opposite. I kind of look at it as a, a momentary, a, a moment, a momentary glimpse of, of clarity, <laughs> because yeah. I think that's where the real wisdom is. When I'm, when we, when the mind gets out of our way, uh, that's where the real, I think that's where real wisdom. I love that. I love that. I love that, that, that comment that was just, up, just up now, because when I first had the idea for one young world, I went to, uh, a music concert at the Barbican in London. And I went as the guest of the then CEO of the British Council, who was very kind to me and very, very encouraging. And at the interval, he was obviously talking to a lot of people and he introduced me to a chap a bit younger than me, sick guy, I suppose, in his, his late 30s, maybe early 40s. I still can't remember who he was or what he did. But Malcolm said, oh, this is Kate Robertson and she's going to have this organization where young people are going to come from every country in the world. <laughs> the guy was introducing me to said, that's the most bleep, 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 stupid idea I've ever heard in my life and walked off. So uh, to, to the comment that was there, it was a momentary lapse of reason. It was, it was. <laughs> but uh, the, very, really. the very first One Young World Summit, you know, Bob Geldof said, in order to, to make change, you need to be unreasonable. Right. You know, we can all sit around and be very reasonable with each other about right. climate change or poverty. And, you know, but to make great strides in human history, you do need to be unreasonable and have unreasonable expectations. And Bob is that unreasonable. Yes. Bob, Bob, when you listen to talk about orbital perspective, when you listen to Bob about live aid. And you talk to the people who worked with Bob on that, right. the most unreasonable <laughs> man in human history. Yeah, I was I was having dinner with him three days before COP twenty one, and he said, "You know what would be a good idea if you could pull together a video yes. from astronauts from all around the world, and we can play it at COP 21. I said, "You do realize that COP twenty one is three days from now, yeah. so you know you're being a little unreasonable." Exactly. <laughs> I, I, but your point about tribes, they really struck a chord because go, going back to Bob Geldof, actually, and other people have criticized having a flag ceremony at One Young World because often flag right. waving can be synonymous with the yeah, sure. worst instincts of yeah. fear of the other and the exclusion of the stranger and the the natural part that I think lives in every yeah that's what I'm reaching mm -hmm. to that lives in every human heart that says my people first and not yours um and I think that that's a you know and and the, that is part of othering people we have this flag you don't we you know and, and but the reason we have the flag ceremony is because I don't think we can escape tribalism. And I think to try and escape tribalism is to deny human instinct. And I think you, you know, if you want everyone to be the same and to not have pride in where they come from and their traditions and their culture, it, you won't get anywhere. There's it's 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 totally feasible to be proud of your country, proud of your community, proud of your culture, your food, your national dress, and still have equal respect for that of other people. And so we keep going with the One Young World flag ceremony, despite its uh, the fact that it's it's not always fashionable to to be into flags. Uh, a lot of people think it's the the you know it's it's a symbol of nationalism. But when you see people coming and they're sometimes the only representative from their country, and how proud they are to carry their country's flag, 
and represent their people who are often rarely represented on the world stage. And you realize that actually the, the symbol of all the flags coming together shows that we really are one human family, I think is this example of still having tribes, but not being tribal. Right. Um, and I think that that's really where we, you know, in a quite a lofty way is where we're striving to go with One Young World. That's why, you know, at the flag ceremony, that's why they always put the flags down. Because yeah. that's the point. They're not just carrying them. They actually put them down right. to, make that, to make that symbolism. And I think there is no doubt in my mind that when the nations are together like that in person, and, you know, the pandemic is a problem for this, when they're there in person, then I do find young people all over the world, whatever country I'm in, will come to me and say, oh, I sit, sat next to the guys from DRC or I met a woman from Vanuatu and she's now my friend and I've been doing this work with her and we've done this. And the... Or Israel-Palestine. There's, I mean... And just so natural, to so natural and precious to care for the other guy, gal, and what's happening to them in their world. Right. So... For me, the only, this is going to sound la-di-da, but it's not meant so, the only great evil in the world is leaders who divide us because right. this is completely stupid, <laughs> unnecessary, total absence of reason. Yeah? Don't sugarcoat it, Kate. Come on. I mean, it oh. just, it's, an, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the evil in the world is that right. thing. Exactly. It's that thing. You know, I absolutely love the flag ceremony. And, and, and whenever I see the flag ceremony, it push, puts me back to when I landed back on Earth after oh. my life. And I know that you've, you've heard this story a thousand times. And I won't tell the whole story. We, love this. we put it little, in a little, little plant and a little stone, yeah. Ron. We, we love it. We put it in our book. We love this story so much. Well, well just uh, I, I won't tell the whole story. But just, uh, you know, I, I land after six months in space. And out of my window, I see a rock, a flower, and a blade of grass. And I think to myself that I'm home. And the, and the amazing thing about that, and I realized it right away, is I was home, but I was in Kazakhstan, right? And so at that moment, my home wasn't just Houston, where I was waiting, you know, my family was waiting for me to return. My home was Earth. And our that's such a powerful word, home. What we define as home is so powerful. And, and broadening our definition of the word home to include the entire planet, and this is the important part that goes to the flag ceremony, doesn't mean we forget where we came from, our national, our cultural, our religious identities. It simply means seeing those things in the context of the bigger picture. And if I consider home, my plant, the whole planet, it doesn't make me any less American or German or British or Rwandan or whatever. It just simply means we see those things in the context of the bigger picture. And the very fact that we have those differences, that leads to differences in perspective and differences in perspective can be shared strength when we apply that when we apply that in a rational way, in in a uh, inclusive way to the problem solving process, when we don't build walls that separate us, when we bring when we bring everybody together in a unifying way, those differences that those flags represent is a source of strength because it's a source of strength in the problem solving process. Absolutely, and I I every year we from the first year that it was officially designed we be, we became in 2016 the first international organization to officially recognize the flag of the refugee nation right and i write the script for the opening ceremony and that involves you know saying what it stands for and you know clap for your country and clap for you know country being a holiday too or you know whatever it might whatever it might mean 
and we explain the flag of the refugee nation and how many people it represents and every year it goes up by several million right and it's just every year every time i write it i it's it's astonishing to me because those are often people who don't have anywhere to call home right um in in a literal sense and it's you know it often happens to people who we we know at one young world and they're set up and they're professional and they're running a great organization and we're like who great young leader and over the course of a couple of months, you they, they are then a refugee without any of the the support that that comes with being part of a fixed community. And um, it's a it's a very humbling part of being part of the global community is realizing how many people are members of the refugee nation. Well, if you have a status quo where no one gets behind, there are no refugees. Yeah, right? And let me let me just pop this up from because Anne's joining in the conversation with us. Um, yes, we need to stop othering people. A planetary perspective of one humanity is essential. Uh, belonging is the emphasis. And then she goes on to say, um, um, we can hold both of these thoughts as of tribalism and a planetary perspective. So again, mm-hmm. this idea of tribalism is okay as long as your tribe is a tribe of Earthlings. Uh, yep. and, we're, and we're one one human family. So um, I'd like to shift the conversation if I can, because um, because Kate, you have you know a wealth of business experience and business knowledge, and Ella, you, you do as well. And you and Ella, you uh, less so. <laughs> well, about twenty minutes ago, I guess you, you were talking about how um, for every dollar. Uh, every dollar that comes through one young world, you know, $16 of impact and, and an investor, you know, any investor would jump on, on that. And so there's, there are many people that think the reason why we're on the trajectory that we're on uh, is fueled primarily because of business operations, uh, Mm. because of business enterprise, because of the, uh, because of the uh, exploitive, destructive, um, you know, way that businesses are operated. They're very two dimensional. They they're, um, a lot of businesses are focused entirely on profit maximization, resource extraction, growth, uh, unconstrained growth at all costs. And uh, in the U.S., uh, that is that is a lawful thing, <laughs> the lawful thing where you know CEOs are bound to the shareholders to increase shareholder value through all those things. Um, and I think all of that is true. I think that that a huge part of the problem that we're facing is because of how businesses are operated right now. But I also think that the solution is going to come through business, that business is going to be a big part of the solution. They're going to be a big part of the course correction necessary to get us to the future that we'd all want to be a part of. It's not that business is inherently bad. It's that some of the ways that some of the business, most of the businesses, um, vast majority of the businesses are operated is counterproductive to building a positive future. So uh, again, Ron, again, you know, and I I don't want to be oversimplistic about this because everything you're saying is so. But again, Ron points to the caliber of the leaders of those businesses. Of course. And, you know, you've got people like Hamdi Ulukaya in the States who is a refugee himself, who set up his business to help refugees, is now a multi, you know, billion, billion dollar business just helping refugees. Yeah. So you've got, there are business leaders who would share every thought that the three of us might have and lots of the people listening to this. So exactly as you say, business itself is not inherently bad. 
The problem with the narrative that goes that business is bad and all businesses are evil and the global corporation is evil and all the rest of it, there's a big problem with this, yeah? All states, democratic or otherwise, will cease to function when there is no business, will cease to function. Why? There will be no tax receipts. So that that whole notion for me is just it's got to be put to one side businesses are there but businesses have got to step up step in and do the job businesses are supposed to do good not just put and it matters but not just put aside dollars for charitable excesses but actually the way they do business how they treat their people how they run factories that all has to be the good. And you do see some companies making enormous strides. Where America, the USA, could be helping is where global companies have broken the social compact as an issue. So we rely everywhere in the world, relies on its citizens to pay some taxes, to pay their dues. Everywhere in the world runs like that even when the tax take is low, yeah? That's fine, but if some companies are not paying their taxes, we've, you know, that social contract between the citizen and its leadership and its its duty or its its feeling for fellow, even fellow, fellow um, countrymen, this will break, this will break. There is an issue at that very, very high end where billions of dollars are taken out of the tax system. And I'm a low tax person myself. There's a problem. And I think um, one of the issues that comes up a lot, I think, in, in current political discourse is around capitalism being inevitably bad. And I have to say, mm. I, I'd be so interested in your thoughts on this, Ron. Mm. Um, you know, I, I feel like we have done a significant experiment at scale as to whether socialism works. I feel that the 20th century was that experiment and I feel that it failed. I think that um, sadly what is an idealistic utopia in the works of Marx and, and, and other thinkers does not work because people are desperate to be free and you can see that from you know the gulags of Russia to, um, to the uh, communal systems of Tanzania. You know, people did not want to leave their farms to go and live on communal farms elsewhere. Um, but I, I, so I do believe that capitalism is the best we've got. It's lifted more people out of poverty than any other system. Um, but I, I, I'm conscious that capitalism needs to change, change very drastically if we are going to ensure that those who are currently left behind. Um, are, are no longer so, or as uh, Mary Robinson and the Global Goals uh, system puts it, um, we put the furthest behind first. And that's really what climate justice is about. It's about making sure that we are not going, okay, well, we'll protect Manhattan first against climate change. We're putting the furthest behind those most at risk first. And I think that um, if we bring those principles to capitalism, we can, we can go a significant way into righting some of the wrongs that that we've discussed so far. Um, I'm conscious that we may have lost our host um, and that Kate and I are... Talking um, to ourselves. Well, uh, very delighted to engage the audience, but uh, we may have lost Ron. Um, in which case, we're going to um, give it a little bit of time. 
Um, but if we otherwise, we will, we are nearly up with our time anyway. And we've loved being on the orbital perspective. Uh, it's a, just a fantastic, fantastic way of having a conversation wow. about the issues that we care about. Um, and we thank Ron Garan for being a very, very welcoming host, even if he wasn't here to say goodbye to us. Uh, we are uh, really, really honored to have taken part. Uh, if you're interested, here we go, we have Ron back. Um, but if you're interested more in Kate's work um, and, and the work of the One Young World community, please do head to oneyoungworld.com where you'll be able to find out more about the One Young World ambassadors and their incredible impact in every single country in the world. We have a great SDG tracker where you can search by the sustainable development goal you're interested in or the country that you're present in, find a project and get involved with it. So it's a great portal for action as well as a showcase of young leaders and their work. Ron, can you hear us? If this is what it's like for us on Zoom, can you all imagine what it's like when you're in space and you're suddenly like, oh, well, we can't, we can't hear you, Tana Houston. Um, we're finding this stressful. I can't imagine what it's like for um, for when, when you have literally millions of miles between you. Um, but uh, that's that, yeah. This is a, maybe a brief, small, as close a window as we're ever going to get Does into Ron, the literal. Does Ron hear us? Can we hear him? In, it's the literal orbital perspective. Um, <laughs> Um, I know that lots of people who are joining us are space fans. Uh, we also, as well as Ron, had Mark Garneau join us in Canada, who was an astronaut and at the time was serving as Canada's Transport Secretary and I now be, think is the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And whilst we're talking about space, can I just say that a situation where a civilian commercial aircraft is turned around in space, in the sky, and taken to another destination and someone is arrested like that. The this, this situation with Roman Protasevich in um, Belarus cannot stand. So I would urge anybody in the podcast to use any kind of social media, hashtag free Roman Protasevich, because this, this, this cannot stand. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing that's happened. Um, and we, you know, Roman is exactly the kind of person that we would normally in, you know, want to welcome to One Young World. Uh, we're welcoming the leader of the Belarusian opposition to One Young World in July. Um, and, you know, we really hope that Roman and, and his girlfriend are able to join us in the near future. We're worried about their safety and we hope that um, the whole international community will join us in our absolute outrage at their treatment by the Belarusian government. Ron, do we have you? Yes, I'm back. Colorado. I'm, I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> we Sorry. resume connection. We, we, had a power, we had a power Colorado, outage. Colorado, we have a problem. <laughs> we had a power outage, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it, took every, it took everything down. I tried to get in with my phone. I know you saw me, but I couldn't hear anything. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, we, we could see We you. just kept talking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Tell, 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 I guess the audience will want to know, did you ever lose connection with Earth when you were on the space station? I just did. No. Uh, <laughs> Was it like that? Well, <laughs> we have plan, we have plan losses. Um, but um, actually, my I am no longer the host of this. Oh, wait, maybe I am. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is this is just one one of many uh, challenges today. So mm -hmm. thank thank you for for uh, holding down the fort while I was uh, scrambling. <laughs> so uh, what did I miss? 
but we 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 were talking about how this we're must be like yeah. <laughs> it must we we talked about capitalism and for a bit and uh, capitalism needs to change. Then we talked about this must be what it likes to be an astronaut and losing contact with the space station. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so I have two questions for you on that. Like, what is it like when you lose contact with the space station? And obviously, you were involved in the Cold War, and I know that then being up in the space station with cosmonauts who were essentially like the enemy beforehand must have been a really profound experience. So I, I just, I was reflecting on, as we were talking on how you of all people would be the person I'd like to ask about that. Yeah, it, it was a very profound experience. It was a profoundly positive experience because it was a, it was an example of what we as humans can accomplish when we set aside our differences and, and agree to work together. And what happened on the, on the space station program was we decided that we being, being the partnership that existed at the time, the, the different nations that were part of the International uh, part, uh, Space Station Partnership, uh, and the Russians, we decided that we were going to set aside our differences and work together on something that we agreed upon, in this case, space exploration. And when we did that, uh, relationships started to develop, uh, a certain level of trust started to develop, and we became a fully functioning uh, very effective international partnership doing the most amazing thing imaginable, you know, building a, an orbiting outpost um, and, and doing it together. And now that created a platform that if we so choose, we can use as a jump off point to address, start to address the things that we don't uh, agree on. But what we tend to do is the exact opposite. We tend to use the things that we agree on as a stick to force the things that we don't agree on and that just doesn't work. But yeah. you know, when I was at the base of the rocket getting ready to launch, and you got to realize this is the 50th anniversary of the first human in, in space. It was the anniversary of, of uh, Yuri Gagarin's launch. We were launching from the same launch pad that he launched from. I, being a former Cold War fighter pilot, you know, stationed at the tip of the sword in, in the former West Germany, was standing next to my two crewmates, two Russian military officers who were on the opposite side of that Cold War, and we're standing at a, at a previously top secret Soviet military installation, uh, and on the rocket was an American flag and a Russian flag side by side. And I think that if there's any glimpse into the potential of our future, it was that. And I felt <clears throat> I felt this emotion welling up inside of me. And I, you know, as it as it reached full force, I identified it as as pride. It wasn't pride in you know, being an astronaut or, or national pride, it was pride in being human at this moment. And I really felt like everybody that was there and there were, you know, people from many different nations there at the base of this rocket, you know, wishing us well as we we're getting ready to launch, uh, all felt in that. We were, we were kind of ambassadors of what, what humanity can become in that moment. Um, and I think it was really, really powerful. Oh, it's um, glorious, Ron. It's just a, glorious story it's wonderful we can get there so so in the time remaining i know i, I wasted some through my <laughs> flailing but <laughs> we, let, let's let's talk about your book that, that, that's out how to make a difference yes uh so we you know a lot of people come to us um and they they're inspired by one your world in some way but they they feel actually rather than being inspired by challenges they feel overwhelmed by them and, um, you know, I think there's a real activism industry right now where, you know, there's uh, 
you know, there's sort of, there was always 30 under 30. At the moment, it feels like eight under eight. Like, you know, you have to be on a list of achievers by the time you're a certain number of years old. And, um, you know, if you, if you don't get this activism deal, you won't get this endorsement and as a sponsorship. And, you know, it, it, it always feels quite competitive. Um, there's, there's that side of it, which I am not a fan of. Um, and then there's also just a sense of, oh my gosh, like climate change is so massive. Like, will me doing my recycling, I mean, that's not going to make a difference. You know, th there's a lot of that sense of helplessness. And what we wanted to do was to speak to people, um, all the influences in our community. So from the One Year World counselors like you, and uh, we had Emma Watson and Matt Damon and um, Jeremy McKesson and amazing, um, you know, inspiring figures right through to the one in world ambassadors who are maybe doing work that people haven't heard of but is making a huge difference and ask questions like how do you find a cause that matters to you how do you use social media how can you change the law you have practical questions and get people's practical advice and i think there are over 65 nationalities represented in the book so it is a global orbital perspective and you realize that actually you know corruption is is as, as a human challenge for every single country climate change pandemics, gender inequality, you know, these are global issues and global issues require global solutions. So um, if you are thinking about trying to make more of a difference in your own community, please do check out How to Make a Difference. It is available in all good bookstores and probably some bad <laughs> ones too. Um, and of course, we've got your book to talk about as well. Uh, your new book, I should say, because you are a Love the title. more prolific author than we, uh, Floating in Darkness. Love the title, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it was a labor of love. Um, it's a, it, it's kind of, a, if I were to put it in a, in a sentence or two, it's a, a autobiographical narrative that serves as an allegory for the evolution of society, not only where we've been, but where we need to go. And that's the important part, the where we need to go part. So. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. It's just glorious. I love it. Love the title. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. I, th I think, I think the thing that, that strikes me about how to make a difference, I think for young leaders everywhere is Quite often people in the pursuit of the, the daily round of trying to earn their money for their jobs or whatever don't understand the power of what they do. So we have a huge global network now with chartered accountants worldwide. I mean, does, uh, does that inspire you being pilot chartered accountants? No, not at all. But young chartered accountants to ask them to understand that corruption stalks the halls of power, as Ella says, in every single country in the world. Somebody counts the beans in the corruption. Right. The only people who can do that are the accountants. They have a role to play. They have the biggest role in the world to play. People cheating on carbon pricing or carbon emissions or carbon trading. Who audits that? Who counts it? The accounting profession. doesn't matter. Same way, you know, we malign lawyers, for example, as a profession. You can't correct a wrong in your country or some sort of wrong in society if you don't even know if there's a law against the wrong you're trying to correct. Right. You need to know the law. So I was doing some, you know, you met advocate Tuli Madoncela with us, the great Tuli Madoncela who brought down a, a, a completely corrupt government. And I'm doing a, a, a work with her and saying to, I said to a bunch of lawyers, you know, in South Africa, the Constitution's very young. It's only since 1994. And I said, but the young people I'm talking to don't know what's in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And one of the lecturers said, oh, my God, oh, my God, you were right. They don't know. So 
lawyers have a role in ensuring that people are taught about the law, that schools should be saying there's not only the American Constitution, these are the articles, these are the different things. There already is a law against that bad thing. Follow the law. And if there isn't a law, that's fine, get a law made. And these were things that occurred to me when we were doing it. Ella particularly was doing all the research and all the stories on the book. You go, everything, everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a part to play to make a difference. Definitely. I, th I think that's a that's a good uh, <laughs> that's a good statement to kind of bring this to a conclusion that everybody has a part to play. It's I think it's I think it's even deeper than that because I think you know we we all want to make a difference, right? We all all want to create a legacy. We all want to leave something behind that lets everybody know that we were here, right? I mean, I, I I've heard that over and over again, but when. <laughs> leaving a legacy from the orbital perspective uh, is a little bit different because anything that we do, you know, every great accomplishment, every great statesman, every great business leader, every great human accomplishment eventually is, is going to be forgotten. I mean, at the best we could ever hope for is to be a, you know, historical footnote somewhere, mm -hmm. but a hundred thousand years from now, where our world will be and where it would have been had you not been here is going to be vastly different. And that's because every action, every word, every deed that we do, every moment of every day has ripples out and has profound implications for the trajectory of our society, for the tra trajectory of our world. And so I think it is up to everybody. It's up to everybody to realize that not only can they make a difference, they are making a difference for better or for worse in everything that they do every day. And I think a lot of the reason why people, you know, people get this defeatist attitude of, you know, what can I, one person do? The problems are so big. I can't, I can't do anything. Uh, and I know you've, you've heard me tell this story or this analogy is about the, the, the killer asteroid coming to earth, right? If a, if a giant asteroid was coming to earth and it was so big that if, that if it hit the earth, it would, it would uh, destroy life as we know it on the, every living thing on the planet would be destroyed. If we knew about it soon enough, we could set a small spacecraft and with the force equivalent to the weight of a feather, give it a little nudge. And over the course of its travel here, that could result in the miss of the planet, saving every living thing on the planet. And so we are incredibly powerful. We are more powerful than we could imagine when you dolly zoom what you're doing out to not only multi-generational, but multi, you know, centuries, you know, when you, when you put it out centuries, um, we, we, Legacy from that point of view, from the, from the, what I call the orbital perspective, I think is, is a lot more to strive for. And, but the big thing there is it doesn't matter who gets the credit for that type of impact, right? Because in the long run, no one's going to have the credit because it's all going to be forgotten anyway. But it's really important that we, that we understand how powerful you are, how important we are, and what you are both doing along with David and everybody else, the entire One Young World team is doing just that. You are communicating to folks how powerful they are to affect real change. You're giving them uh, inspiration and hope that they can actually make a difference, uh, that they're not just beating their head against the wall. Because you know we all know, because we've seen it firsthand, the vast majority of the people of the in the world want to make a difference, want to want to make this place better than they found it. We see it all the time. Those people don't get time on the news. Uh, it's it's all the it's all the noise and all the negative negativity that that for some reason sells and that we we're bombarded with. But we all know that there's amazing stories of of her heroism every every day that we never see. Yeah, absolutely. Well absolutely. said, Ron. Well said.
So thank you so much. Thank you so much for thank taking you, the time. Yvonne, what an honor. What an honor. I'm looking forward to seeing you both in person real soon. Yeah. Uh, I have to give a shout out to uh, Melanie York, who is, is uh, my aunt, but also worked at One Young World for many years, who is your biggest fan. And I know it's uh -oh. tuned in. Uh, and was so excited to meet you in Pittsburgh because she was so excited to meet an astronaut. She couldn't think of what to say. So I had to reintroduce her to you to, so that she actually got got her words out. But I know I know that she's been watching and, and was, oh. you, that's how inspired she was by by you and your work. Oh, thank, thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, tomorrow, just real quick, I'm going to make a plug for this. Um, we've been doing this thing every week. I, I do a virtual visit to a classroom uh, around the world. And uh, so far over the last 12 weeks, we've visited about 40 classrooms around the world. Wow. But, but, but tomorrow is our last day because it's the school, the school year is ending here. It's uh, so tomorrow is our last time that we're going to do it. So we opened it up. You know, we've had over 600 classrooms sign up to be on this live. It's a live virtual uh, field trip uh, tomorrow. Uh, 11, 11 a, I think it's 11 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Pacific. I can't even remember. Uh, it's it's all over the, the social media, but we're doing that tomorrow. Um, so tune in tomorrow if you're if you're in a classroom somewhere, because oh, um, we we want to really thank all those those hero teachers and hero students. Yeah, go there. teachers, go yeah, teachers. That worked so hard this year. So thank you all for tuning in and uh, try and tune in tomorrow. And uh, Kate and Ella, thank you so much not only for for being here and devoting your time, um, but also all that you're doing in the world. I, I really really appreciate it. Bless you, Ron. Thank you for having us. All right. See, see everybody soon. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space. Mm -hmm.